So a quick note before we start the actual podcast, I think it would be wrong to start a podcast on ethics without acknowledging some of the very real world stuff going on at the moment regarding racism. I'm definitely not the most educated person to speak on the subject of race, but what I do know is that whilst I enjoy making these podcasts and having these discussions about ethics, there are times where we need to put our ethical beliefs beyond words and into practice. I'm a big believer in the importance of education and continue to educate ourselves lifelong, so I'll link in the description of this podcast some authors and speakers that I've personally been turning to to educate myself on my own relation with race and how I can challenge white supremacy and privilege in myself and in my surroundings. You've reached the only way is ethics. How can I help you? Is it okay to test makeup on animals? Should we pay for surrogacy? Are celebs allowed to promote diet products? Are the Kardashians feminists? Is it bad that I watch trash TV? Please hold. Hello and welcome back again. Thank you for once again choosing to join me. I, like the rest of the world during lockdown, started watching the infamous Tiger King. Yes, I know, evidently I'm a sheep. (laughs) With the world swept up in Carol Baskin memes, it's easy to forget the key focus of the documentary, the treatment of animals across all the parks. Yes, not just Joe Exotic's park, all the parks, because let's be honest, none of them were particularly great. Like surrogacy, this got me thinking about something else I covered at uni that I originally thought was completely uncontroversial, or at least had distinct stances. That question was, what do we owe to animals? Let's look at a case study here. Zoos. Yeah, not all zoos are equal, this is true. There are zoos that genuinely are conservation efforts, not that that necessarily makes them perfect, but we are going to focus on the types of zoo featured in Tiger King. I'm hoping that whatever your stance on the Carol Baskin husband murder hitman controversy, you agree that what happened at Joe Exotic Zoo was not conservation. It was commercial greed and it was immoral. As always, feel free to disagree. You'll be wrong, but go ahead. Throughout the series and in clips that have surfaced since, we have seen many images of animal mistreatment. Not just in the physical abuse sense, but in the conditions that they lived in and the way that wild animals were trained to interact with humans. But why exactly is mistreating animals for human entertainment immoral? Yes, seriously, this is a question we'll actually need to dissect because it's not one that is answered consistently by philosophers and some don't actually think it's immoral in the first place. Or at least not in and of itself. It's a complicated question because answers that on the surface might seem uncontroversial actually might have some very controversial consequences. So, without further ado, let's dive straight into that controversy. Opinion number one. Immanuel Kant. Kant had his own views on the mistreatment of animals and why humans shouldn't use animal suffering, but his reasoning might well surprise you. So, to quote him, If a man shoots his dog because the animal is no longer capable of service, he does not fail in his duty to the dog, for the dog cannot judge, but his act is inhuman and damages in himself that humanity which it is his duty to show towards mankind. If he is not to stifle his human feelings, he must practice kindness towards animals, 
For he who is cruel to animals becomes hard also in his dealings with men. So to break that quote down, basically Kant doesn't extend his philosophy of not using people as a means to an end to animals, but he does think the ends have to be significant. Otherwise, if we treat animals as objects to do with as we will, we will learn these practices and start acting this way towards people too. Remember those clips of Joe Exotic shooting tigers or just generally acting abusively towards them? Now think of his actions towards the other humans in his life. Kant might have a point here, no? But we might think it strange that his concern here was more with our duty towards humans, not the animals in question. And certainly not everyone thinks that we have no moral duties toward non-persons. Opinion number two. Peter Singer. Peter Singer, if you don't know, is a follower of utilitarianism. This is a branch of ethical theory that believes the correct course of action is the one that causes the least suffering. Well, that's a very simplified definition and a lot of utilitarianists disagree as to exactly what their stance is, but for a general understanding, it's to do with causing the least amount of suffering to the least amount of people. Singer is himself as controversial as the topics he discusses. Part of his argument for animal welfare involves the rejection of what we would call speciesism. You might remember in his 2020 Oscar acceptance speech, Joaquin Phoenix talked about the fight against the belief that one nation, one people, one race, one gender, one species has the right to dominate over the rest. To focus on that last category, speciesism is the belief that members of a certain species can be treated as more morally important than members of other species. Peter Singer opposes this belief. He puts forward the idea of personhood, and this is where things can get a little controversial. Singer has been accused of advocating infanticide, and in a roundabout way, he sort of does. But for now, we're going to focus on his slightly less controversial application of personhood, which is used to argue against animal suffering over humans. Singer believes that people who argue in favour of factory farming or profiting off of zoos like the one in Tiger King by pointing to the importance of looking after people are missing a crucial point. He doesn't think they can successfully point to a factor that distinguishes humans from all other species that grants us personhood. Lots of people talk about our capacity to reason as making us distinct, but Singer points to animals like chimps or dolphins to show that we aren't the only intelligent species. Nor are we the only species capable of love or commitment. Take swans or lobsters that mate for life. And Singer believes that there are some humans who would not fall under these definitions of personhood. And I don't just mean in the sense that the tigers in Tiger King often seem more human than the people in Tiger King. No, he's talking about people in comas and newborn babies. Yes, it is a bit awkward, isn't it? to discuss whether humans with limited mental capacities, whether in a coma, very young, or through something society labels a disability, are still people. It's starting to sound a bit eugenics-y, and something many people have labelled Singer a bit Naziist. We won't get into all of this. It should be noted that Singer is himself a Jew and has obviously loudly condemned the types of eugenics that target racial groups. But he is a firm utilitarian and argues that there are cases where limiting suffering might involve ending lives, or preventing certain people from being born in the first place. I should point out here that whilst I personally would never feel comfortable discussing these sorts of ideas in anything but a very hypothetical and shallow sense, I have rebutted arguments against commercial farming, 
that point out many of these animals would not be around if not for farming by arguing myself that a life of suffering for an animal is not better than never having been born. The part of Singer's argument that I would like us to seriously consider is the idea that if we can't point to something specific that we alone possess that other animals do not, why should we prioritise our own species above others? A lot of us keep pets, love animals, consider them as our best friends and mourn them like other members of our family. So why do we nonetheless tolerate animal suffering? This brings us to our next case study, vivisection. Vivisection is the testing of animals for products or treatments that don't benefit the animals themselves. I am someone who buys only cruelty-free toiletries, makeup, etc. I'm vegan, I don't go to zoos anymore, I'm very conscious of the way I contribute to animal suffering and I really try my hardest to limit this as much as possible. Yet there is one area in which I prioritise myself and that is my health. When I get sick, I buy medicine and medicine is tested on animals. So, if we think that we do have a duty not to just willfully cause suffering to animals, and that we are against zoos like the Typhoon Tiger King or circuses that abuse animals, and perhaps even against frivolous things like makeup that is tested on animals, what is it that makes us still tolerate the testing of medication? I sit here recording this in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, and best believe I'm hoping we find a treatment or a vaccine. But I also know that this will mean considerable suffering caused to lab animals. We might take the view that the correlativity argument poses that animals, unlike humans, do not possess moral rights. The argument goes like this. Only humans have moral duties. Animals do not have moral duties. We don't call animals killing other animals murder, for instance. Only beings with moral duties can have moral rights. Therefore, humans have moral rights, but animals do not. We may have a duty towards these animals and a responsibility to act as well as we can, but because they have no rights of their own, we can violate these duties in order to preserve, say, the right of a cancer patient. This might be a good way of distinguishing between our duty to not run abusive zoos that don't uphold any fundamental human rights from our right to seek medical treatment and in one case forbid the animal suffering whilst allowing it in the second case. Kant would agree with this general notion. Unlike humans, Kant did see animals as a means to an end, so for him the end was the crucial factor. As he put it, vivisectionists who use living animals for their experiments certainly act cruelly, although their aim is praiseworthy and they can justify their cruelty, since animals must be regarded as man's instruments, but any such cruelty for sport cannot be justified. Singer himself has said there could potentially be a situation where vivisection was morally justified, but so far the utilitarian criteria has not been met. When I was at school, I took IB psychology, and part of the course included looking at the arguments for and against animal experimentation. The thing about testing on animals is that you have a bit of a catch-22 situation. Either animals are very similar to humans and therefore make good test subjects, but also feel pain in a very similar way to us, or they are very different from us, but then why are we using them as test subjects for human medication? Singer thinks that this catch-22 negates the benefits argument, the argument that the benefits of animal testing could outweigh the suffering caused. 
Some people think that animals just have moral rights and rights cannot be violated in favour of benefits. This would mean that animals' right to life and right not to be tortured, which arguably vivisection is, could not be violated just for human benefit, no matter how high the benefit would be and how much suffering the vivisection would avoid in humans. This leaves us with a few questions to consider. What about individual human rights to life? As I've explored in a previous podcast, I am very much not a mother, but I can imagine how easy a decision it would be for a mother or a father to consent to treatment for their child with, say, cancer, without even thinking for a second about the suffering of animals involved in developing that treatment. Are we supposed to stand by and allow our kids, our siblings, our parents to suffer in the stead of animals? Right, so I have an academic opinion on this, and I also have a very much real-world opinion. Academically, I think we need to ask whether suffering caused and suffering allowed are the same thing. This is a topic that could have its own podcast episode in and of itself, but I think it's an important question to answer so that we could work out whether these sufferings would be equal in our duty to end them. In reality, of course, I would prioritise my child. I just would. In the same way that were I walking past two pools and in one with three children and the other was my child and I could only save the population of one of these pools, of course I know I would instinctively choose my child. However, academically I would find that unethical. The second consequence of asserting that animals have unalienable rights is the question of whether they would have moral duties. As we touched on previously, if we assign rights to a group, we usually assign moral duties as a consequence. This would be an interesting situation to find ourselves in. Would we have to put animals on trial for murder? We should note here that there is historical precedent for this. Across Europe, people used to put animals on trial. There was a sow and piglets put on trial for murdering a young boy. Apparently the sow was witnessed attacking the boy, whereas the piglets were not. So the sow was executed and the piglets were let go free. Apparently part of the decision to let the piglets go free was the fact that they were considered immature and therefore wouldn't be a full capacity to commit a crime, which is kind of how we judge humans as well. There have also been cases that is put towards incoming pests like weevils and other insects where towns would try and drive them out through passing legal judgment against them. It all sounds very bizarre, but perhaps that could be where our future is going. It would be interesting, wouldn't it? Maybe when it comes to vivisection, it might be more productive to move focus from the question of who's suffering to prioritise to the development of solutions that limit suffering overall. Cruelty-Free International have a list of alternatives to animal testing, including cell cultures, human tissues and computer models, alongside human volunteers in brain scanning, as ways that scientific advancements can happen without the historical suffering. Advocates of alternatives to vivisection argue that these alternatives are cheaper, more efficient and more reliable. I won't lie, the science of the alternatives to vivisection may go a little above my head, but for your home reading, should you choose, you can have a look at what live science has written about the movement. Animals make up such a large part of our lives, and as we've seen with the rising trends in veganism, cruelty-free products, and discussions around shows like Tiger King, humans are having to start asking themselves some serious questions about what it is that we owe to our furry, feathered, and scaly counterparts. Okay, you cool cats and kittens, I'll leave you there. 
Tune in next time when we'll be looking at plastic surgery and egalitarianism. Thank you and goodbye.